here on part two of a series we're calling The Road to Resurrection because Easter's coming. And uh, last week we started the series. If you weren't here, you can find it online. Uh, I'm just going to give a really quick recap of what we talked about last week. We wondered what it would look like to have been with Jesus as he was living that, that, that last couple of weeks before uh, he went to the cross. And, and uh, what would it been like, you know, what, what were the things that he had said? What would it be like, like, would he have talked to us? Uh, we, we learned uh, last week that he boldly went towards what he already knew was coming. He knew he was going to be whipped, you know, like the words, mocked, scorned, spit upon. He, he knew that was coming, and he walked straight towards it with a, with a boldness and a courage, knowing also that right uh, after, you know, after that, that it didn't end at the cross. He knew that he would be risen from the dead. He predicted it. He pulled it off. He knew it was coming. And uh, as a result, everything in between was, was doable, was manageable. Was it difficult? Yes. But he knew that he would be risen from the dead. And, and we, encouragement last week was to understand that we're on that resurrection road as well. It doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what persecution, what trial, what difficulty may come. If you know you're on resurrection road, you know you win in the end. And to be reminded, uh, to be reminded of that, um, we were picturing what it was like to be there. And last week we talked about a few people that Jesus met along the way. His disciples who had been with him for three years and were still totally unaware of what he was up to. And um, we said, yeah, sometimes there's people, we're like that. We've you know, been in church for years and, and, and unaware of what, what God is actually uh, doing in our lives or what his, his plan is for the, for the planet. Uh, and we talked, about, uh, we talked a bit about that. And then we talked about blind Bartimaeus, you know, the blind guy, but he wanted to see. And, and that desire that many have around us, they, they, they can't see yet, but they have a desire. They, they know there's something more. And then we had Zacchaeus, who was like physically and morally short of the standard, uh, but curious about Jesus. And we've seen that as well, that you got friends and family and, and, and people at work or even people that come into this building, you know, they don't have it all together, but they're curious. They want to know more about Jesus. And the good news is they, they can, they can find about, out about him, but they can find him here and they can find him in our lives. And so we realize those people may be around us, but we also realize sometimes those people may be us, that there's some of those things God reveals in our own hearts. And my prayer tonight is that we would examine our hearts in light of the scriptures to see what is he doing in us? What, if there's things in there that need to be revealed, that he would shine a light in there and do that. And so uh, today is, uh, well, today, tomorrow is known as Palm Sunday. So if you're watching this on Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. It's a very well-known event in the life of, um, in the life of Jesus. And uh, for most, uh, maybe just show of hands, how many of you, this will be the very first time you've ever heard of Palm Sunday? <laughs> So there's a couple. There's a couple have heard of. They've never heard of Palm Sunday before. But the majority of you be like, yeah, no, I've I've heard of this before. And 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 some of you are like, I just lied. I I I I, I see you, Noah. Uh, <laughs> see, you know, it's not the first time you've ever heard of it. And, and so the the tendency can be when we hear an old story, a repeated story, that it's just like, eh, it just our brain just like, oh yeah, I've been there. I've, I've done that. But tonight I would ask that we would just examine our hearts in light of what we hear and what we see. Tonight, and, and I would ask you to, to hold on to this thought as we go through tonight. Who would I most likely have been, if I was honest with myself, the people that we come across in the journey with Jesus tonight, who would, who would you most relate to, if you were honest? Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I'm like. And then second, who most inspires you? As you see these people like, you know, this may be who I am like, but this is who I would like to be like. Uh, and so those two questions are we want to look at tonight. So let's jump right in. The eyewitnesses uh, give us the accounts of what we're looking at tonight. These are people who were there. 
Uh, and uh, we're not going to read all of their stories, but you can. Matthew was there in Matthew 21. He gives the account of it. John was there, and in John chapter 12, he gives the account of it. Mark, who we know to have possibly have actually been there for this part, but he's a friend of Peter's, and uh, we know that Peter was there, and so you can find Mark's account in Mark 11. And then Luke, he wasn't there, but he talked to all the eyewitnesses that he could who were there, and he put together uh, his, his um, work for, for us to understand. And so you can find that in Luke 19. So I'd encourage you to go home and just read them and read one after another and just see the different perspectives that these, that these eyewitnesses had of this event. They all talk about it. it. It was an important one. And so we know that Jesus was on his way from Jericho. We saw that last week. Jesus was on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. And if you look, this is kind of what it would look like. Jerusalem is way up in the mountains. Jericho way down in, the, in this spot. They got, that, that's a long hike. That's not, you're not doing that, you know, in, uh, you might do it in a day, but it's not an easy day. It's 20 winding miles of, of rough terrain. And so we see that Jesus is, has been walking towards there. And as he's gone through Jericho at this point here, that's where he met Zacchaeus. That's where he healed blind Bartimaeus. That's where the crowds were like starting to follow him uh, from the, this point. Go, man, this dude's for real. Like, look at the stuff that he's doing. We, we want to join him. Well, Jesus follows his path all the way to that little place called Bethany. And uh, it, when he's at that place, that, that's where Lazarus lived. That's where he had been when everything was, when all the uproar started, he had, he had raised Lazarus from the dead and they wanted to kill him for doing it. So he booked it over here to the other side of the river. And now he's making his way back and he happens to be at Lazarus's house. And the crowds are even bigger. And if you read the accounts, they, they, they make mention of that. Like there's people, they want to see Jesus. They want to catch a glimpse of him. And it says there's actually people who, who come in the crowd because they want to see Lazarus. Like, they want to talk to this guy who was dead and risen from the dead. And he probably wasn't that old. He's still living with his sisters. But I can just imagine, like, the teens, you know, asking Buddy Lazarus, like, hey, dude, tell me, like, how did you get out of the straitjacket? Like, how did you get up off the thing when he called your name? You know, or, bro, was that the stinkiest you've ever been? <laughs> my, my teenage boys are like, they, they, bro, your pits are the stinkiest. I'm like, man, like, we never talked like that. But maybe, maybe they did. You know, or, or like, dude, do you know that like the Pharisees want you dead? They actually want Jesus dead, but they want you dead too. John tells us that. And maybe Lazarus like, man, I just did dead. It wasn't, you know, too bad. I'm back. You know, and, and uh, it's all right. There was, you don't see any of this concern about that. But they wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to see Jesus. And there was a lot of them. And so Jesus and, uh, you know, his uh, his crowd the next morning after hanging out at Lazarus's house they start making the six mile hike to Jerusalem so from Bethany now we're closer here they're walking this this over the mountain and up into Jerusalem and uh, the crowds are following him and the crowds are actually coming this way and they're also they found out in, in Jerusalem that he's coming and they start coming this way and so they're meeting in this area of, of Bethphage uh, in that in that spot and so the crowds they, they're like excited because they think man look think of the possibilities if this guy can raise dead people, if he can reconcile like the, the, the worst of the Israelites, the tax collectors and the sinners, he can actually get them to agree with you know, the others in this thing. He's, he's drawing all of the, he's, he's getting all the clans together. Think about what this guy could do for us. We have not had a leader like him in a long, long time. And as Jesus looks, he sees the sheer volume of people. And if you know anything about Jesus' ministry for three years, as he walked, it was slow. Why? Because people want to talk to him. And then he's like, we're going here. And all of a sudden he's like, wait, stop. Somebody touched me. 
I, I just healed somebody, and I don't know who it is. You know, put your hand up. Where are you? And this woman sheepishly puts her hand up, and then we get this story of Jesus interacting with her. Okay, fellas, we're going to keep going on. And then this guy runs up. He's like, my daughter, she, she's, she's desperately ill. Can you help us? And uh, everybody's like, yeah, that guy, he's been really great for the people of Israel. He gave lots of money to the temple. He's like, she's like, that doesn't phase on me. Like, What's his faith? Where's his faith at? He realized, man, this guy's got, like, passionate faith. He's a centurion. He's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this. And you see, it's slow. But Jesus is on a mission here, and he's, he's determined to get to Jerusalem. It says he set his face like flint. He's like, I'm going to get there, and I'm going to get there today. But he sees the crowds of people. And so he sends the disciples. He's like, hey, t- fellas, two of you going to Beth, um, Beth Page, or however you pronounce it. He's like, and, and there's a donkey in there. It's waiting for me. Just go get it and bring it here. Uh, and so they go in there. And I can just imagine as they're walking, like, what's he, come on, like donkey? <laughs> like, seriously, this is like our Messiah. Like, where's the, where's the stallion? Or at least the trusty steed. Like, but all right, we'll, we'll go. And they, and they find the donkey, just as he said, and they, and they, bring, it, they bring the donkey back. Can you picture that? I, I, picture what it, what it must have been like as, as these guys come up and they're like in the mass of the crowd. They find Jesus. They put Jesus on the, on the donkey. The atmosphere is like charged. He's like, you can, it's, you can feel something in the air. Uh, if you've ever been to a pep rally, you kind of know what it's like. And for some of you, like, no, not pep rally. If you've been to a protest, you know what this feels like. Um, if you've ever been to um, a playoff game for the Leafs, it's been a while, but if you've been to one, man, there's, it's, there's something that happens. It's different. There's like this dull roar of, of volume going around, excited chatter. Uh, and then, you know, every, every once in a while, you can make out like the, the occasional interjection of like, yeah, you know, or whoop, whoop, whatever they say, whatever, it may, right on, right? The, that's what interjection is. It's like this word that it just stands alone because it's got all the energy in it. And, and, and in this moment, there was this phrase that began to, to be gathered as, as they were listening out of this dull roar going on everywhere with every, these occasional things. There was this phrase that, that, that all of a sudden began to emerge. And it wasn't, go, Leafs, go. Go, Leafs, go. Or, let's go, Brandon. It was like, ho-sha-na. Can you say that? Ho-sha-na. 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 Hoshana, and it's like it's rising up. And these, that's not a word. That's like a couple of words that just they put together for this moment. It was like it starts rising, and everything's like, yeah, yeah. It, the words simply mean to save us, save us now. It's, a, it's, like a, it, it, it's like an interjection in a prayer all at once save us now. And they're like, <laughs> they see Jesus going, they got the crowds. They're like, man, this is, this is the real deal. Hoshana, save us now. He's going to save us now. And and as they get close to the city, the people start giving him the red carpet treatment. They're like, man, th- this is him. Like, man, they, they start celebrating like he's already defeated the Romans for them. And so they begin to lay their clothes down on the road. They're like taking off their jackets and setting them on the road as the donkey's going by. And, and they, start, they start hacking off the, um, the palm um, branches, which is why, where we get the term. And they're waving palm branches. But, but that's not the first time Israelite people will wave palm branches. 
170 years earlier, that tradition started. The, the Maccabee family had conquered the Syrians who were giving Israel, Israel trouble at that time. And uh, they come back as these heroes, and they started waving palm branches. And it actually became their picture, their, their, their symbol of their, their uh, nationalism. They didn't have a flag, so they would wave palm branches. It was like, this is for Israel. This is, this is victory for Israel. And they're like, we would wave our Canadian flags, like, for freedom. That, that's what's happening in this moment. And so they are like pumped. And it was political for them. It was like, man, they're using words like, this is a king. We're getting rid of the old leader and we got a new one. We're going to overthrow the government. We're going we're to do this. The conquest has begun. Hoshana, he's going to save us now. We know the word is Hosanna, but that's, that's what it sounds like. Hoshana. And they get to the city. They get to that spot where they go through the gates. And as they get in, man, like, People who are in the city who hadn't gone out, they're like, man, what the heck is going on? Like, what's, what's all this noise going on? And they ask. And the people are like, man, Jesus, it's like the prophet from Galilee, he is here. Like, man, the dude who raised people, from that guy, like the one guy, he is here. And they're like, oh, this, and the crowd begins to grow even larger. And it says, as the, the, they, Jesus leads this crowd right up to the temple. The temple where all the big announcements are made in Israel. They're, they're convinced he's going to stand there and he's going he's to tell us, I'm here. I'm taking over. There's a new kingdom that I've been talking about. It starts now. We're, we're going to overthrow Rome. And he gets that space. And then everything changes. In the eyes of the people going along, they think he loses his mind. Like he gets to the pinnacle of, of this fevered pitch of excitement and everything's there and their expectations are all resting in this moment. And then he goes and does something crazy. And if they were there, they would just simply tell you, they're like, man, he, he goes in and he starts flipping tables in the temple. And we're like, dude, those are our people. They're on our team. Like, what are you doing? And then, and then, like, and then it's, it gets worse. He makes a whip and he starts whipping them and, and chasing them out of the temple. And we're thinking, what, what are you doing? Like, the Romans are right over there. Why, why are you doing this? And he just straight out says, you know, you guys have turned this into something it was never meant to be. And I'm here to bring it back. I'm here to, you, you've made it hard for people to come into to the, to the kingdom. You've made it difficult for people to, to connect with God. And I'm here to change all that. And they're looking at him like, that's not what we were expecting. That's not even what we were hoping for. That's not what we even wanted. And he starts to lose his crowd. He starts to lose his crowd. But he goes in the temple. He starts inviting everybody in. It says the blind and the lame and the kids come in. And the kids are actually running around the, the whole temple shouting, like, praise God for the son of David. And the Pharisees, the religious guys who, like, take care of the temple, they are not happy. And they, they challenge Jesus. Like, just imagine, you know, like, saying, like, yo, do you hear what these kids are saying about you? They're basically calling you the son of God, and they're running in the house of God. Stop them. Some of you come from churches like that. <laughs> do not run in the house of God. And I can just imagine Jesus' response. Yo, they're not running in the house of God. They are the house of God. And you think their words, <laughs> you think their words of praise are inappropriate? Man, that's how God perfected praise out of those kids' mouths. And guess what? If they stop singing, the stones are going to start singing. Because the stones have more sense than you do on how to respond when the presence of God is in this place. He didn't say that. But that's, I'm sure, what they thought when he's like, wait, the stones are smarter than us? Amen. Amen. 
man, when the presence of God comes, it was like, man, this, when you're aware of his presence, worship is like this massive deal. So let's get into scripture. Matthew 21, Matthew actually finishes it off by saying this, then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. I put there, because that's a good dad joke, that's my plan for today too. My wife is Bethany. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Just want to make sure you're awake. So let's take a look at some characters along the way. Are you with me? You hear the story. Let's take a look at some of the characters along the way. There's three sets tonight. Number one, the crowd. The crowd. And I want to ask you this question, because what did we say at the beginning? Who am I most like and who am I most inspired by? Who am I most like and who am I most inspired by? And I have to ask these questions, even to myself. Am I like the crowd sometimes? Here's some things to think about with the crowd. If you're taking notes, or, or if you're not, grab one of those little sheets in front of you that says notes, and you can jot a few of these things down and, and think about them later. But this, here's a few things to consider. Because we can answer the question just too quickly. Am I like the crowd? No. But the crowd, here's how you find out if you're like the crowd. The crowd tends to follow the crowd at the expense of following Jesus. The crowd tends to follow the crowd rather than actually following Jesus. It looks like they were following Jesus, but we find out later that's not the case. And does that happen today? For sure. The crowd follows the crowd everywhere today. Just look at social media. Look at Facebook, look at Instagram, look at Twitter. You know how you see it? You see it when people have to post something around their, around their, uh, their screen. So for a while, way back when, there was this black box. You put the black box around you know, your screen because you're standing with, with Black Lives Matter. You know, and then if you had the colorful flag there because, man, I'm standing with them. You know, and then it's like the, the orange flag because, well, you know, Black Lives Matter, but every child matters. So you put the orange flag. And if you don't, do you not care? And then as you got your vaccine, vaccination, you put your status on there to make sure everybody knows, I got, I got my vaccination status, and, and that, that starts going across the thing. And now it's the Ukrainian flag, right? You post that up there. And, and, and the, the question is, my question is, is this, have you researched the truth of any of those things for yourself before ever posting that, hey, I'm all in? I'm all in. Do you know that most people couldn't find Ukraine on a map before they were told to care about it? And it was like, oh, we're going to post it, but never research the truth for themselves. Do you know that critical race theory and anti-racism? It sounds good. We even had politicians vote for it saying, yeah, we want anti-racism in our schools. Never research the truth to know that it was what was actually going on behind it. If you miss Samuel Say, he came here and just gave a talk on critical race theory just uh, two weeks ago. You can find that online. But they, they, they never researched the truth for themselves. And they said, no, but I'm all in. I'm all in. Why? Because we follow the crowd. And you know what? The problem is it happens in the church too. It's like, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm all in because, you know, I haven't researched the truth for myself, but Mark said it, so I'm in. Man, that's, that's, that's why I love that Romans is up there. That somebody can go and say, man, I'm going to search to know the gospel truth for myself. It doesn't matter what Mark says. What did Jesus say? What do I need to know? And my challenge is this. The crowd, that's what the crowd does. And my encouragement to you is don't do it on social media and don't do it here. Don't allow yourself to do it. I, I would actually encourage you to resist blindly following the crowd. When the next thing comes up, because it's going to be, it's probably climate change. When that comes up as the thing you got to post on your thing, don't do it. Don't do it unless you've researched the last hundred years of temperature changes and found out, okay, this is the truth, and yes, I'm all in, I'm in behind this. Because we're being conditioned to just follow the crowd. This is what you need to care about now. This is what you need to be, and it's dangerous. To know the truth for yourself. 
Man, we sang that words, man, the truth will set you free. John, that, that, those are the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John, John 8, 32, John tells us that. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set who free? You. Yeah, you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's going to mean, you got to know the truth for yourself. And he's actually referring um, also to, to himself, as he says, you know, calls himself later, I am the way, the truth, the life. That is where it's so, so important. Guess what? The crowd... It doesn't say the crowd will know. It's this individual thing of saying the crowd follows a crowd, but what I want you to do is follow me. Second, the crowd was all in-ish. The crowd is all in-ish. Do you know what I mean by that? They, 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 they say they're all in, but it's an ish. Yeah, I'm all in-ish, sort of. Think about it. As Jesus is wandering in, and they're getting super excited about the fact that Jesus is here, our Savior is here. What do they do? They take, off, they take off their coats, and they're willing to lay their coats down in front of him, but they're not willing to lay down their lives. They're willing to lay down their coats, but they're not willing to lay down their lives. Luke actually records a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples earlier. So we can read it in Luke 14. If you have your Bible, go there, Luke 14, verse 25. Jesus said this, a large crowd's following Jesus. And he turned around and said to the crowd, hey, if you want to be my disciple. If you want to be different than just the crowd, if you want to be the one who's actually following me, he says this, man, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Jesus is saying, that's not how you make a crowd. I'm not interested in making a crowd. I want disciples. I don't want all in-ish. I want want people who are like, man, I'm all in. I'll lay down my coat, but I'll lay down my life because, Jesus, you laid down yours for me. I'm, I'm, I'm in. And he says this. It's like compared to, compared to um, loving me, it's like you, you're hating your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. It's not like something like, like eh, I'll be a part of the Lions Club. I'll be a part of this. I'll be a part of the church. I'll be up. I'm, I'm in-ish. He's like, no, no, that's not how this works. That's how the crowd thinks. He's like, but I'm not calling the crowd. Verse 20, he says, he says, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? You see these examples all the way through, through Scripture. Even reading devotions this morning, we're reading through Scripture, through the Old Testament. If you're reading along with us, we're in 1 Kings, and we read the story today of Obadiah. And Obadiah was this man who Elijah, the Lord spoke through Elijah to him and said, hey, it's time for you to go tell King Ahab that Elijah and him are about to have a showdown. Go tell Elijah, I mean, go tell King Ahab to meet Elijah. And, he's, and what's Obadiah's response? He says to Elijah, no, I can't go tell him because God's going to take you away. You're going to disappear and then the king's going to kill me. And then he defaults to his, Elijah, look at what I've already done for the Lord. I've been feeding like a hundred guys. I hid a hundred prophets from, from King Ahab so he didn't kill them. And I've been feeding them like Look at what I've already done. Don't make me do this. And there's, to be honest, there's some things in my life that deal with the issue of forgiveness. Well, God's like calling me, Mark, you need to do this. And I default to say, God, look what I've already done. They say, I don't care about already done. I want all in. All in is continual. I'm all in. And man, it's tough. And I wrestle within my mind, how do I do that properly? How to... But it never leaves. And it won't. I, I know it won't leave until I do it. Because that's what he calls us to. And maybe you have those similar things in your own life. The crowd doesn't care. 
the crowd's not able to be all in. They just follow where the crowd's going. Where's the next thing? He wants more than that from us. And then finally, the crowd praised God for what they thought he would do for them. The crowd was willing to praise God when they thought this is what he's going to do for us. Matthew 21, 9, here's what it says. Matthew describes it this way, New King James. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed, right, the ones who came out of Jerusalem and the ones who were coming from Bethany, he said, they cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the, in the highest. Hosanna, save us now. Man, save us now. We're with you. Save us now. And they, and they were willing to praise, thinking that he was going to save them. And how do we know it wasn't genuine? Because just a few days later, these same people would join the crowd and say, crucify him. Why? Because that's what the crowd does. You know, the, the, the follower, the disciple is like, man, Jesus, I'm going to praise you when it's good, and I'll praise you in the storm because I'm all in. It's, it's, it's not about circumstance. It's about you. I will worship you for who you are. It doesn't matter what the crowd around me does, whether they sing, whether they do nothing, man, whether their lives, even in every other person in the church, it doesn't matter. I am in. I was challenged by it. And then second, first one's a long one, second one shorter. I was challenged by the kids, the children. Man, they're just simply singing out his praise. And Jesus mentions that their heart, there was something different. They sang the same words. They sang the same words like, Hail to the king, to the, um, Hosanna for the son, uh, to the son of David. You know, Luke 21, verse 15 says this, When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear the words that these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, yeah. And then it's just like, oh man, it's like the worst dig ever. Have you never read the scriptures? <laughs> like this is what they've been paid to do. It's like, have you never read? Like, do you not understand that out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, he has perfected praise. That's where he he says that it's simple. Children were simply praising Jesus for who he is. It, he, he, he makes that, that distinction that their hearts were right. He says, if they don't, the, the stones are going to cry out. And, and I was reminded how many times the response to genuine, heartfelt, childlike worship is indignant. Indignance or disdain from others. It actually happened just before this story started. The night at Lazarus' house. Something happened. I want to take you there. John 12, verse 2. John tells us this, that a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. And Martha was serving, because that's what she does. And Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Sounds good, but verse 6 tells us not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus simply replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You know, and here we see Mary with this extravagant, costly gift of worship for Jesus. You know, the gratitude that she would have had for raising her brother from the dead, I think maybe that was a motivator, possibly. But I think it's deeper than that. Because if we look at Mary before that, when Jesus came to town, what did she want to do? I just want to be with you, Jesus. I just want to sit at your feet. Don't make me go in the kitchen with Martha. I just want to, I just want to be with you. I just want to be here where you are. I just, I just want to be. 
You are worthy of my full attention. You are worthy of my adoration. You don't have to do anything. You are worthy because of who you are. And I don't know about you, but I'm inspired by that kind of worship. Reading a couple of weeks ago about David, who danced before the Lord with all his might in front of all, he's the king, but in front of all of the Israelites, he's dancing down the road. He gets so high, he's throwing his clothes off. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And why was he dancing? He had recognized the forgiveness of the Lord in his life. And he had, he had gone to a place where, where the plague had stopped, a plague that was his responsibility. He had sinned, and there was a plague that affected the people. And he gets to the spot where the plague stopped, and, and, and the prophet had told him, buy that piece of property from a guy named Arana and build an altar there to worship the Lord. And, and so David goes to that place, and he's about to, to, um, to uh, buy the place. And what does uh, Arana, the owner, says, no, no, you're the king. You can just have it. And David makes this powerful statement. I just want to read it to you, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24. But the king's reply to Arana was this, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him the 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. I will not give what cost me nothing. I refuse to let my worship be something meaningless. I think about Mary, her worship was costly. It was extravagant. It might have been awkward, but it was genuine. And I think about Judas, his indignance. His indignance was simply an act of worship to his God, which was money. You know, that, that temptation for all of us is always there, that we would be drawn astray by, by things and, and miss the giver and creator of all of it. You know, David's worship as he is dancing before the Lord, it says he was mocked by his wife. It's like, wow, look at you, how ashamed you should be. And he's like, I'm not ashamed. I know what he's done for me, and it doesn't, there's nothing that will stop me from giving my all. And I think the same thing is something for us to consider when I consider what Christ has done for us. Man, what is the price of the worship that we are bringing in return? What price is too high? What price is too high? Our comfort, what people may think of us, any of those things that keep us from being all in. The kids were the example. You see this worship uh, example of Mary's. And then finally, maybe the last one. And it, it may seem strange. Because, you know, I'm inspired or challenged by the crowd, by the kids, and third, by the cult. You know, I'm reading The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And it actually drew my attention to this. It, I think if you're going to read a book, and everybody, teens, adults, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God is a worthwhile read. I'm not done it yet, but I can guarantee it's going to be good all the way through. The cult in the story is probably the most often overlooked. It's in every account, but they just sort of mention it. It was, it was there. You know, the donkey that Jesus rode in the womb of Mary all the way to Bethlehem is way more famous than this donkey, and that one doesn't even exist. There was no donkey in the nativity, just saying. But this one gets not a lot of, not a lot of love, not a lot of notice. And you know why? Because people weren't focused on this donkey, but on who was riding on him. Who was riding on him? And you know, I, as I was reading Tozer, he's, that was his prayer. God, make me like that donkey, that you would ride on me, that I would carry you to the world, that they wouldn't see me, but that they would see you. 
that they might see him and not me. Like Paul who would write, we've got this treasure in earthen vessels that the power may be of God and not of us. Like John the baptizer who said, he must increase and I just got to decrease. That his name would be on our lips like Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4. He said, there's salvation in no, other, no one else. God's given no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. He said, man, that, let, that be, let that be what shines through our lives. Greater than any patriotism, greater than any of the what God can do for me. Just that simple thing of let his name be on our lips. May we carry him to the world. Why? Because that's why he came. I close with this thought. Luke gives us one final detail that I think matters so, so much. Because our Savior is amazing. He's truly wonderful. He's truly worthy of praise, and he truly loves. Luke chapter 19, verse 41, Luke says this, but as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, he's not there yet, but he's on his way, and he sees the city ahead. He begins to weep. Weep's a strong emotion. Weep's like tears, uh, sometimes uncontrollable. Weep is like, man, you get gut-wrenching news, and it, it just has to find a way out weeping. He says, verse 42, how I wish, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Now it's too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. Can you picture this? Here's Jesus going into, they think he's going to save, they think they're going to save Israel. He's like, man, you don't understand. Yes, I'm going to save Israel. Not the way you expect. I'm, that's why I'm coming, but it's not what you're expecting. And he says, and to be honest, you're going to miss it. What I'm coming to do, you're going to miss it. Verse 43, why before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls. They'll encircle you and close you in on every side. And the Romans did just that in AD 70. Verse 44, he says, they will crush you into the ground. Your children with you. Your enemies won't leave a single stone in place. Why? Because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You hear his heart breaking. I just wish they would have known that God was visiting them in that moment. That they... Some translations say it this way, that they missed their opportunity. They missed their opportunity. They didn't recognize that it was God in that moment visiting them, calling them. And today I would say the same thing. That I believe God's here right now visiting, calling. In that same way, calling people to come to repentance, calling people to come to salvation. Like he called Zacchaeus, like he called Bartimaeus, like he called all those disciples to say, come follow me. I will show you what life is meant to be. And I will give you eternal life as, as well. Simply that they would say that you would not put, put your trust in him as the one who's going to save our country. He's like, man, that you would put your trust in the fact that he died for your sin. That he rose from the dead. That he is Lord of all and deserves to be served as nothing less. Individually. And tonight, maybe that's you. I pray you put your trust in Christ. He lights that up inside of you. But man, over the next week... I pray that he drops faces and names into your mind of people who need to hear this. And that you're like, you know what? I think I need to invite so-and-so for Easter. I, I think they need, I think God's calling them. I, I think they need to be here. And that you would take that opportunity to, to realize, man, God, you're at work in my life. I believe you put that name there. And I'm going to be obedient to you. And I'm going to go and invite. I'm going to go and call them. I'm going to go and say, hey, come with me. Knowing that <laughs> this resurrection road that we're on, man, if the world isn't, ah, oh, man, the alternative is just, it's terrible.
And so tonight, I encourage you, as he calls us to be his followers, it's to go out and to reconcile the world to him. And what a great opportunity. We don't do it alone. He is in us. He is with us. I encourage you with that tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you for pushing through, even though you knew what was coming. It's the only reason why I have any hope in this life. It's because of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I, I pray that this week as we live our lives with you, that you would be worshipped as you deserve for all you are, for what you've already done in our lives. God, I pray you to stir up desire to know you more in each of us. That just like Mary, we'd be excited to sit at your feet, to just be with you, to know you. I just pray that for myself above all. Thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for inspiration, but thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your presence in our lives. I lift up every person here. We've all got different things going on, and you know it. Lord, I pray that they experience you in those situations this week. And Lord, I just lift up this coming weekend. Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in people's lives. That there be people who come to know you in a life-changing, powerful way. If there's a part we play, help us to be obedient to that. Let's pray that, Lord, we would be just so confident that you would lead and direct our steps this week. So we listen for your voice. We simply listen for your voice. Give us courage to obey. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, on Saturday nights, sometimes, or if you're watching online, we encourage people to take some time in a, in a group or chatting it out with somebody else to say, what do I need to think about more? What's he doing in my life that, that has to go deeper? than just the service. Because I can promise you, you'll leave and you'll forget. You'll forget most of what was said here tonight. Except for maybe my one comment about my wife. <laughs> that's always how it goes. But I want more than that for you. And so does he. And so that's why we do this, so that you'll, you'll have a chance to, to dig that in deeper, to find that truth for yourself. So here's the questions. What jumped out at you from today's talk? Because maybe it was just a statement a sentence. Maybe it was in the songs we sang, but it was like, ah, that, it's, that sticks. I need to do something with that. And then second, who do you most relate to from today's account? Was it the crowd? Was it the kids, including like Mary and David and the other worshipers? Was it the cult, that, that humble desire just to see Jesus glorified? And, and why would you say that? And then um, third, how would you gauge your pursuit of Christ or your worship of him right now? You had to measure it. Maybe some of these are like, man, I don't know if I want to tell somebody that. Start with telling you. Thinking about it. God, I'm opening my heart to you. What, how, how would I gauge that and why? And then finally, who do you think needs to hear this message? Why? And whose, face came to, whose name came to mind and, and, and why? And you have the opportunity to pray together? Take full advantage of that. So sometimes we just have people gather around in groups in here. Feel free to do that. We'll keep the music low enough that you can chat. Uh, otherwise, maybe I'll do it at one of your small groups this week. You'll bring these questions up. Or maybe I'll do it as a family. Maybe on the ride home. Whatever it is, I'd encourage you to. So thank you for being here tonight. It is much better to worship all together. And thanks for tuning in online. Hopefully you uh, have a fantastic week. And we'll hopefully see you uh, Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, to worship together. We'll see you then. <laughs>